Hey, it's Randy Kugler with Racing with RK, episode number 12. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Buckeye Karting Challenge, Ohio's karting championship. The next event is Sunday, October 25th at G&J Cartway in Camden, Ohio, with practice on Saturday, October 24th. For those of you that have not raced in this series this season, use promo code RACINGWITHRK and receive a $5 discount from your entry fee. It is also brought to you in part by Lori Beal Photography, your expert in motorsports photography. Her passion is sports, specifically motorsports, but also enjoys travel, concert, and night photography. Check Lori's website, lauriebealphotography.com. That's L-O-R-I-B-I-E-H-L photography.com. And use promo code RACINGWITHRK and receive a 10% discount on orders for first-time customers. Well, as I said, this is episode 12 of Racing with RK, and today we have a special guest, someone who I've known for many years, and I'm pretty excited to have him on the show with us, Keith Freiber from Margay is on the show with us today. Keith, welcome to Racing with RK. Randy, thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, this is something I've really been looking forward to and, and was really excited when you uh, started this podcast series. Uh, you know everybody in the business, and uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, so looking forward to it. Well, it has been a lot of fun so far, Keith, and I know today will be as well. I, I really have a passion for reliving history because it's good for all of us. It's good for the soul if we can talk about back in the day, right? And we're yeah, gonna, and we can do a lot of that. So We can, we can do a lot of that. We're not going to do any... Uh, any birth certificate or driver's license age checks here, but believe me, we can both do a lot of that. So, <laughs> uh, so let's take it from the beginning, Keith. Uh, tell us about how you were introduced to karting. Well, gosh, I mean, I um, just guilt by association, I suppose. Um, I, I was very fortunate in that my family is, is a long line of racers and uh, my grandfather started Margate Racing. Um, Actually, it was Mark Hart back in 1964, and uh, so uh, I've been involved since as long as I can remember. I don't I don't remember how exactly I got in, uh, started, but I can tell you that my uh, first trip to the track was at Boschertown Speedway in St. Charles, Missouri, uh, a track that's still there, not an active racetrack, but an active rental track, and uh, that was probably in the uh, late 70s, so 1977, 1978. But um, yeah, just been fortunate to be involved my entire life. And uh, I can't imagine ever doing anything else. So it's funny that you mentioned Boschertown. And now we're going to clearly define the age gap here between Keith and I. In 1967, oh, wow. my, my mom and a couple other moms took me and three other kids across the country to Riverside, California for the IKF Nationals. And then our dads flew out because they were busy at their jobs. I found out later, just, you know, I did the math. They just didn't want to listen to three or four kids <laughs> in, a, in a camper all the way across the country. So they flew up. So we raced at Riverside, first time I ever got on my head, by the way. And on the way back, somebody said, wouldn't it be cool if we found a go-kart track? Now, of course, that wasn't back when we had social media, but somebody knew about Boschertown. Wow. And so sure enough, Keith, in 1967, <laughs> it would have been probably August or July, somewhere around there, we headed back and stopped on the way home in Boschertown, and we all raced our go-karts in Boschertown that, that uh, day. That's so, amazing. And the yeah. track is still there. It's yeah. really crazy. That's pretty awesome. Good deal. 
Do you remember when you started racing, Keith, when your first victory was and where it was? I'm pretty sure that, that well, there's two, two that sort of stick out. Um, the first one, um, I think I was 10 years old. So it was 1978. And we were racing at a track on the other side of the river here in St. Louis called BET, the Belleville Enduro Track. And it was a motorcycle TT track. So it actually had a jump in the middle of the track. And it was, of course, all dirt. Well, well wait, wait a second. Back, back up the bus. They took the jump out for you guys, right? No, no, no. Of course, we ran that. And <laughs> so it's a dirt road course with a jump in the middle of it. And it's surrounded by a, a white, uh, you know, ranch style fence, you know, a, a rail fence where the first rail is about head high. So uh, nice. you're in a go-kart. Nice, nice. So yeah. uh, that was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Not exactly, a soft, not exactly a soft wall, but you know, they were, they were trying. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to keep you motivated to stay on track. And you know, <laughs> right. my, my mom thinks we were fishing that day, I believe. So uh, that was probably just as well. But I had a, uh, a Pantherex Junior at the time with a Mac 49 on it. And... Um, just had no idea what I was doing, you know, but I uh, was just fortunate. My dad was there, obviously, to keep me pointed semi straight. So lots of fun. Uh, that was my first sort of local uh, win. And then my first national uh, win of any significance was um, in the National Road Race Series, the WK National Road Race Series, 1982 at Blackhawk at the WK National up there. And and, um, you know, I had been flopping around in the enduro carts, uh, had been fast, but hadn't figured out how to win, you know, for a couple of years and managed to crash a lot and not finish a lot and just didn't have any idea again what I was doing, but uh, had a lot of fun. And that weekend, my dad uh, took me to the track up there at Blackhawk, along with um, one, of our, one of his employees at Margate at the time, a guy named Charlie Grodeke. Who helped Hell me yeah, a lot of course. Yeah. In the early years there. And so we shared a cart. So I was running 100cc Reed Jr. And Charlie was going to run the same cart in 100cc controlled. And through Charlie's experience and wisdom, he got the cart set up. Because when you're a kid, you don't know what's right and what feel. I mean, you just don't know what that feel is. You don't know what right is supposed to be. So he got the cart set up properly. I jumped in it. And I was like, holy cow, this is nice. And uh, proceeded to lap the field, literally lap the field in Reed Jr., 100cc Reed Jr., one by a lap. And um, it, it was really all thanks to Charlie that day. So uh, that was my first ever road race win. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So uh, still uh, still enjoy Blackhawk. That's pretty cool. And Charlie, uh, and I see Charlie on Facebook. He's kind of into politics now. Isn't he a commissioner or something in the county or... He is. Uh, he is a, uh, forgive me, I don't know the term, but a city councilman yeah. uh, in the uh, town that he lives in and very active and uh, I'm sure does a good job for all of his people out there. No doubt. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to misstep here on the year, but I know I'm assuming it was like late eighties, early nineties, uh, the transition of ownership and management of Margie, although you would gotten heavily involved in and the management and running of Margay, you kind of took over as the owner. Tell us about that, when it happened and, and how that all transpired. 
Well, I started working uh, full-time at Margay when I uh, got out of college, graduated from college uh, in 19... I started at Margay full-time in January of 1991. And uh, the company was still owned by Marquette Tool and Die, which was uh, founded by my grandfather and run by my father uh, at that time. And so worked away in that scenario for, for 20 years, really. And then my wife and I, uh, Nicole, uh, we bought the company outright from Marquette and the family in September of 2009. So we've owned it independently since since 09. So, so for the last 11 years. Um, but yeah, it was a real uh, it was a real experience just diving right in. Literally um, graduated in December uh, from Bradley University up in Peoria, Illinois came home, had Christmas, and then went to Daytona, of course. Um, raced at Daytona, came back to St. Louis, and was literally, like, got off the plane from Daytona and, like, okay, here, go run this company. <laughs> with, uh, at the time, probably, I don't know, I think it was, like, 15, 12 to 15 employees. And I was just out of college, and I was really, really smart. Um, yeah, Sure. I, I knew everything there was to know. Makes sense and, to me. Yeah. And had it all figured out and uh, dove in and we were off and running. And, and then my education really began. That's so, right. um, but it was, uh, it's been a great ride and a lot of fun. And I've uh, been so fortunate to be around and supported by so many great people and just um, have so many adventures over the years with this. Oh yeah, Definitely. Well, tell us about some of the drivers you worked with. I know you've had some big names, but uh, through, the, through the Bridgestone sponsorship and they were on Margays and things like that. But just talk about a couple of the drivers that really stick, stick in your mind that uh, you have some great memories of working with uh, racing for Margay. That's a tough one. Um, there are so many drivers over the last 30 years now that, that we've worked with that have gone on to... to quote unquote, bigger and better things, um, just other forms of motorsport. Uh, and there's something that you can take away from all of those drivers. Um, you know, every one of them was different, but the, the thing that they all shared, any driver that, that goes on to be successful at a higher level, um, they all share this unbelievable desire to be better, to work harder than the next guy, to be better than everybody else. And they just, they never quit working. I mean, they can have, you know, they can have the field covered in qualifying by half a second. And they're still gonna be the last ones to leave the track because they're looking for another 10. And, uh, you know, the one that really comes to mind immediately is Scott Pruitt. And um, we may talk more about him later, but when, when I was younger, you know, my dad was, was running two businesses and so he sent me to the races with a lot of different people uh, over the years when I was, was growing up. And I was fortunate to get to go to the races with, with both Scott and Lynn uh, Haddock, sort of as my chaperones, if you can imagine that. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, it was uh, always entertaining and, and also very educational. Um, and, and so, again, what both of those guys have in common is that they just worked harder than everybody else. Every, you know, people want to always want to point and say, well, that guy just got lucky and, and he's won all those races, you know, whatever reason, they always have a reason and an excuse. 
but the reason that those guys win all the races at any, whenever you see that, whenever you see somebody that's dominating, that guy's winning because he's working harder than everybody. Else. Exactly. Uh, there's no question. And so I learned that at an early age that, um, you know, that's what's really set Scott apart um, from a lot of his contemporaries. There may have been quicker drivers on a given day, but there were very few that were going to outwork or outthink Scott. And the guy still works unbelievably hard in his new career and, and it hasn't, I mean, he's the most successful road racer, uh, sports car racer in the United States in the last 50 years. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so I was fortunate to get to hang out with Scott. Um, and the same thing with Lynn, you know, uh, Lynn was more passionate about karting and, and uh, I mean, he's just driven by success, driven by winning. It's, it sounds easy, but it's not. And Lynn worked unbelievably hard. Um, and those guys sort of fed off each other. When you have competition with people like that involved, the bar just keeps getting raised every weekend, you know, and they're constantly trying to outdo one another and beat the other guy. And, and that's what made them so exceptional in the end was they were always trying to beat the fastest guys out there. They weren't sort of cherry picking races or anything like that. Um, so those were two really um, neat guys that I was able to work with and, and still enjoy talking with both of them today. Um, Jamie McMurray uh, was another one. Um, his dad, everybody knows Chicken Hawk. Uh, his dad is something else. And uh, that's how we got introduced to him. His dad was a traveling salesman for uh, a manly valve company. And uh, he would stop in our shop in St. Louis whenever he got an opportunity. And, and Jamie was probably 12 years old at the time. And, and, and Jim would stop in and tell us how this kid's going to be the next greatest thing ever. And, and he was. Um, quick story about Jamie. He was just fast. He just, he was one of those kids that just, you put him in the go-kart and he was just fast. And I think part of the reason was that they raced something different every weekend. Uh, one weekend they would be racing an enduro cart at, at mid Ohio or somewhere out in Kansas. The next weekend they'd be racing a dirt oval with a four cycle. The weekend after that, they'd be running a Yamaha on a, or a hundred CC controlled motor on a street course. And his dad was such a wheeler dealer that Jamie never drove the same go-kart twice. I mean, he was, you know, as soon as he'd go out and win in one go-kart, somebody would want to buy it. And his dad would sell that go-kart off and put him <laughs> in something else. Yeah. And uh, we were at Quincy one year the, at South Park, which is an amazing venue. One of the coolest tracks I've ever raced at. And Gus Trader, you know, the master showman was, was putting on another event in South Park. And Jamie was there uh, running 100cc controlled for us. And uh, it was raining. And we ran the park rain or shine. And I mean, it, it's not kind of raining, it's really raining. And people are going, oh my God, I can't believe we're actually gonna race in this. So standing start at the park up at the top of the hill and the people that have been there get it and, and know what I'm talking about. But you start up at the top of the hill and you're running this mile long track over significant elevation changes through a city park uh, surrounded by rock walls, trees, a creek, um, and lots of people that have been drinking beer for several days. So it's, it's a pretty exciting environment and it's a ton of fun, but it's an unbelievably tough track to be fast on. And so Gus, it's, uh, Gus is the flag man 
and it's a standing start. Gus throws the flag. Everybody takes off down the hill, out of sight, and we're waiting for the field to come around. And you just hear one cart all by itself coming, <laughs> coming towards us. And here the cart rounds the bend to the start finish line and it's Jamie and, and he's all by himself. And everybody's thinking, boy, there must've been a heck of a wreck, you know, must've taken out the whole field. The track must be blocked. And there wasn't, I mean, Jamie just, he probably put five or six seconds on the field in one lap. Wow. And and then just proceeded to drive off and dust everybody. And that was the class with all of the hitters in it at the time. And mm -hmm. that one stands out to me because it's like, wow, this kid in the most difficult conditions on the most difficult track just smoked all the guys that win here all the time. Yeah. And um, obviously we know how it worked out for Jamie. He's had an amazing career, uh, Brickyard winner, Daytona 500 winner and just all around good guy. So uh, again, the common thread with all of those drivers that we've been fortunate to work with is that they just work really, really hard at it. And, uh, and, and not all of them go on to uh, bigger and better things. You know, um, the Lenuski family is a favorite of mine. Um, always enjoyed working with them. And both Tony and Caleb were dominant in carts. Whenever they ran, they were the guys to beat. And I really always just enjoyed working with that family and uh, had a lot of good times with them and a lot of success. And, and there's many others. There's many, many others, but um, just been very fortunate. Had a lot of fun. And you, you brought up an interesting point I hadn't thought of before, but it, you'd stated how uh, Jamie and his dad would basically run every discipline of karting, road race, dirt, sprint, uh, just, just to get a feel for the cart in different conditions. You know, Tony Stewart did that. When Tony mm -hmm. Stewart got into karting and he ran a lot of WK, he ran Daytona, he ran Manufacturer's Cup, he ran dirt. And when he was ready to go to the next level, he was prepared for just about anything that came along. And that's a that's an excellent point I hadn't thought of before, but that's, I'm sure, had a lot to do with, uh, with Jamie's success as he moved up the ladder was the fact that he had experienced a lot of things that some drivers had never experienced. Yeah, uh, he had a pretty big comfort zone. You know, people talk right. about getting out of your comfort zone. And today, I just see so many young drivers that, you know, they run one specific discipline and they run right. that, you know, every weekend and they run the same right. thing week in and week out. And that's great. But, you know, and if you're having fun, I mean, it just depends on what you want to do. You know, exactly. karting, you know, karting doesn't have to be a stepping stone or a ladder to the next thing, you know, carding can just be carding. Carding can be for fun. It can be a, it is a wonderful place to spend time with friends and family and really enjoy yourself. But if you are a young driver and you are looking to move on to uh, other forms of motorsports, to me, man, you drive everything you can, whether exactly. it's a dirt cart, a lay down cart, it doesn't matter. If you've got the opportunity to drive it, you need to go drive it. So, uh, and I think that served Jamie, um, very, very well. So I, I, I would agree. And, uh, and an excellent, excellent point. Well, I'm going to name some drivers now. And then, and for the listeners, this is a trick question because Keith <laughs> knows the answer, but I'm going to name some drivers and their accomplishments and they all have something in common. Uh, the first two and Keith, we hadn't even talked about this, but I think it's, it's certainly worth noting in this particular series, we have a television star. Uh, the ABC Castaway show, Matt Jaskell, uh, mm -hmm. raced in this in this series. 
automotive woman, which is one of, uh, I think she has maybe almost like, I don't know, half a million, a million subscribers. And Juliana Chivetti is on YouTube as automotive woman. She goes to, she does a lot of podcasts, uh, vidcasts where she reviews these exotic sports cars. Sam Hornish, IndyCar champion, Indy 500 winner, also NASCAR, went to the top level of NASCAR. Danica Patrick, IndyCar, a lot of success in IndyCar. She also had a long career in NASCAR. Phil Giebler, an Indianapolis 500 veteran. Patrick Long, one of the most well-known sports car drivers in the world. Michael Valiente ran IndyCars, also was very successful in sports car racing. Joey Han, a 12 Hours of Sebring winner. Michael McDowell, to this day, is pretty doggone competitive in an underfunded funded team in NASCAR and had a very good career in the uh, in the Grand Am series in sports cars. Uh, Scott Speed ran this series in the early going. He's a Formula One driver as well as raced IndyCar, NASCAR, and is a very successful rallycross driver. Um, and, uh, Reagan Smith ran some in this series, and Reagan, of course, had a good NASCAR career, and now you see him uh, on the... Uh, on the TV as a broadcaster and uh, just, you know, just on and on with, um, with success stories about these drivers, Keith, what do they have in common? Uh, it's easy. They all ran the constructors cup series. Tell us what the constructors cup series was Keith. Um, it, it was, I think probably the best carding that we've had in the last 25 years for sure. Um, and it, <laughs> I can give you the long version or I'll try to keep it as short as possible, but um, really the genesis of the series um, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it started with Doug Henline and Doug Henline owned Douglas wheels. Uh, he built pro line carts and, and Doug, uh, Doug's a really smart guy, just a super good, just an amazing guy who was very, very good to me over the years in a variety of ways. But Doug, was concerned that if we're trying to develop young drivers here in the United States to compete at higher levels, they're going to need to go compete in Europe in karting because that's the pinnacle of karting. That's where it happens. That's where the world cha uh, championships ha happen every year. And if you're really going to get to the top, you've got to go to Europe and compete in the toughest program there is. And you have to be prepared for that. And, there, and so in Doug's opinion, there was no way to properly prepare drivers for that in the United States. So what he did was in uh, 1996, in IKF Region 6, they started running um, 100cc direct drive uh, Formula A, and they basically ran it in the European format, and where all of the rules would be just like, it would just be like showing up at a race in Europe. They ran it the exact same way. And then they took that, Doug took that one step further. He got together with yourself and Art Verlinger from RLV. And, and you guys came up with the Constructors Cup Series, the WK Constructors Cup Series, which was, uh, I think it was five races the first year and four this, the next two years. Mm -hmm. Something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a continuation of what he started with IKF Region 6 in, in 1996. So, um, it was, uh, you know, a very high-end series um, run to European standards with the European format, uh, European licensing system, registration, park for May. It, again, just like you were going to go race in Europe. And, and it was awesome. 
it was really good. Um, you had the Constructors' Cup as the top level of carding. Um, you also had Manufacturers' Cup, and you had other different series out there, but those were the step right below Constructors' Cup. And we had a very clear-cut ladder back then. You would start out uh, your local racetrack, then you would move to your uh, regional series. And WK had a lot of strong regional programs at the time. Then you would move to Manufacturers' Cup, the national level. And then, you know, if you really wanted to race against the best, you would move up to the Constructors' Cup. And the great thing about the Constructors' Cup was it brought the best drivers from all over the country to one place. And we talked earlier about Pruitt and Haddock racing each other and constantly raising the bar, but we had the same thing going on at Constructors' Cup. You had all of the best drivers racing in 100cc Formula A. And it wasn't like, well, half the best drivers are here racing this program, the other half run this other program over here. And today in karting, we have four top level programs and, and there's really sort of no clear cut top of the pyramid. Um, back then with Constructors Cup, um, we had that. And we also at the time had the North American Karting Championships, which you were instrumental in, in making happen um, at, at Charlotte. And that's where all of the Europeans would come over. All the factory teams would come over and all of our best guys would race against all of their best guys. And it was really something. I mean, that was a big event. I mean, there were people that went to Charlotte just to spectate at that race. That doesn't happen a whole lot in karting, but no. there were carters that came from all over the country just to walk through the pits and just to watch the racing. And the exactly. racing was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned this list of, of drivers and I can't think of, a, of an era in karting that was more successful in producing drivers that, that went on to success at higher levels. And, and that was 100% due to the efforts of yourself, Doug Henline, Art Verlinger, um, and, and the others that supported that program. But the three of you guys were really the driving force behind that deal. And it was really cool. Um, just the racing was amazing. The people uh, were pretty, pretty entertaining at times. Oh yeah. Um, we both got stories. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, yeah, there's just so many cool things about that series. And to reflect back on this list, uh, just Danica and, and Sam uh, specifically, and Pat Long. Pat Long's been paid by Porsche for the last 20 years to just fly around the world and drive race cars and yep. win races. Yep. That's not a bad gig. And, not a bad gig. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for his time in the Constructors' Cup. You know, that, that was that was certainly a contributing factor. One thing we were able to do with the Constructor Series is we could reach out to that motorsports industry and say, we got a thing over here you ought to look at. Yes. Because we're really developing some drivers. And what happened? We had Elf Fuels come to Charlotte. We didn't go to them. They came to Charlotte and said, we want to see your best drivers the Monday after the North American Karting yeah. Championships. And and we brought in 16 guys from, from all the, the sprint, disciplines manufacturers cup constructor series we even brought in road race all the asphalt series that were road course and we had like 16 drivers and they're going to pick two i never forget it yeah so we've got them all we got the best and these kids are having a blast because they're rubbing shoulders with guys they've never they've heard of but never seen before they're telling stories about what i do and what you do it was just a great mix 
Well, it was run by, well, it was overseen anyway, uh, or at least, uh, you know, uh, he had a hand in it and that was uh, Ray Evernham. Um, yes, yes. Well, he Ray was, was really, there. Ray was close with Elf Fuels. He had a really good connection with Elf Fuels. That's right. And so we, I, I, uh, we ran the Margate carts. Uh, yep. We ran our Bravo one chassis mm -hmm. with uh, Horseman or Yami uh, K71 right. engines, basically the, the HBV KBB yep. engine. So, so yeah, that was a great time. The plan was two drivers. We'll pick the best two. So towards the end of the day, the elf officials come to me and they say, we need to talk. Oh, geez. You know, they don't like anybody. <laughs> we all, we all stink. They go in the room and they go, listen, we cannot believe how good these drivers are. I said, well, yeah, you know, I told you, right. <laughs> they said, we can't pick two. I said, okay. I think I like where this is going. They chose eight drivers. Yeah. And basically said, you get yourself to France and we'll take care of everything else. Yeah, that's right. And so eight of our kids got that experience. Did they all move up the ladder? No, but what an experience they'll carry with the rest of their life. Oh my gosh, you know, you know you're 15, 16 years yeah, old and you get to yeah. go to France and drive race yeah. cars for a week. That's yeah, right. exactly. So so that was uh, that was certainly a, a great byproduct. And, and, and before we move on to, to the next topic, I do want to touch on two people you mentioned, Art Berlinger and Doug Henline. And when I say Art, you know, certainly it's RLB, Art and Rod, but... Art and Doug had such a yeah. passion yeah. for that type of carding, had such a passion. I'll never forget one time Art said, we got to beat those guys overseas, then we're going to have to work at it because they're working at it every day. And that was his way of saying, what do we need to do? Yeah. Doug was just off the charts. He basically came up to me and said, we got to make this happen, Randy. Tell, tell me what we need to do to make it happen. And he, neither one of them hesitated. What do you need? Tell us what we need to do. Where do you need us to be? And they pulled strings, they made phone calls, and because of them, it happened. And uh, it just, it kind of ran its course. I mean, other series started, I'm going to get into all that because it just is the way it is. But other series started that started to lose what we were doing. And uh, at some point, it wasn't practical and it was unfortunate. But uh, that's that's all well and good. It's it's certainly something that will will be in the, in the history books of karting as some really, really good racing and some great drivers for sure. Well, the other thing that, that uh, you didn't mention about Doug and Art was that they invested a lot of their own money oh, absolutely. in that program. I mean, yeah. piles with no hope for a return, but they did it to advanced carding in the U.S. They, did it, to, yep. they did it because of their passion for the yep. sport. Um, and and two, just two of the coolest people I've been fortunate to know um, and again, both of them have been so helpful. I mean, Doug was, Doug was instrumental um, in so many of the successful things that we did early on when I was involved with Margate in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So much of that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Doug. And, and Art, I continue to work closely with Art virtually every day. And he still has the passion for carding. He yeah. still wants carding to be successful. And he still supports carding. Um, so many ways, but financially too. I mean, he puts a lot of money back into the sport. So two terrific guys and uh, two guys that were just instrumental in everything uh, that's come my way. So very fortunate yeah. to know him. Good. Well said. Couldn't agree more, Keith. So we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about the Gold Cup series or the Horseman Gold Cup as it were back in the day. And you had had very little involvement, if any, in the Horseman Gold Cup. But one day you said, I want to I want to try to get into this series and make something happen. And I think you might've reached out to Sandy Gregory 
and the two of you kind of teamed up and started developing a team and, and kind of take us from there. But I mean, you guys, there was a stretch run around the stretch run there in the gold cup where Margay was on the top of the podium darn near every race. Yeah, that was, um, that was a great time and, and uh, a great story too. But we actually, we actually did participate in gold cup in 98 and it was, it's sort of a tangent from um, the constructors cup uh, story because we were running Jonathan strong in 97 and 98. And John was quick. John still is quick. Um, all these years later, but he, he was our guy at the time. And in 98, we, we looked at, we were running Constructors Cup and we were running uh, WK Manufacturers Cup as well with Jonathan. And we said, hey, there's some open weekends in our calendar. We're not doing anything on these weekends. What do we do? And, and so we looked at the Gold Cup schedule and the Gold Cup schedule worked out really well. Uh, it, it fit nicely in the schedule. And so Darren Rudolph, and Jonathan went and ran all of the gold cup races that year and won three championships. Uh, and were just crazy fast, just yeah. crazy fast wherever they went. So that was kind of our one. It was like, we did that and okay, well that was fun. And then we didn't participate in gold cup again for a while, but we showed up and sort of ran the same cart we were running in constructors cup, which was pretty foreign to the gold cup crowd. And, and they didn't really, get it you know and they couldn't figure out why that thing was so fast but it was fast and and john was a big part of that for sure but um and, it, and if i let me interrupt for a second so wk back in the day had something called the triple crown yes and it, yeah, and yeah it took right. all the yeah. series road race manufacturers yeah. cup gold cup speedway pavement speedway dirt might have even included in the constructors while it was around and said anybody that wins three classes in one or a mixture of two or three of those divisions yeah. will be considered a triple crown winner. And it'll be kind of a big deal. And when we come to card fest in the banquet or Daytona in the banquet, wherever it may be, uh, your name's going to be up in lights and you're going to get a really cool trophy because you did something special. Well, John Strom was a triple <laughs> crown winner, but not More because he, well, I was going to say not, not because he won three classes. Yeah. Right. John Strom was a triple crown winner because between gold cup and manufacturer's cup, he won seven Seven, classes. Yes. And that yeah. was never done before. And to the best of my knowledge, it never done again. So no. certainly kudos to John and to your team, because that was just an unbelievable accomplishment. What domination in both those series. Yeah. You mentioned that trophy and, and it's funny because that trophy is the first thing that greets me every day. When I walk into the front door of the office, it's um, it's sitting wow. right there. That's and, cool. Uh, that makes me yeah. feel good. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, John was gracious enough to to share that with us. And um, yeah, I mean, you just you can't um, you, you just can't say enough about his dominance that year, 1998. I mean, he just destroyed virtually everybody that he raced against. I mean, just yeah. there was one time at South Bend in Gold Cup. He put it on the pole in Briggs medium. You know, that's the heavy hitters class. Right. And he put it on the pole by like 1.7 seconds and everybody was losing their mind. There's no way something tear that thing. <laughs> yeah, I right. mean, they, they took the paint off the chassis and tech, right? I mean, they yeah. went through everything. <laughs> right, right. And it was legal. And, yeah. and it was just, it was, it was easy for John because he had been competing in the constructors cup and not to, not to take away from gold cup at all. 
but the constructors cup level and the speeds that you were competing at right everything was happening in slow motion for john <laughs> right like right. literally yeah and so um so yeah anyway so uh that was uh that's the great piece of our history uh that year in 98 uh the other notable thing that happened with john in 1998 and we're also reminded by it every day out in the shop is that at the north american championships uh in charlotte that that fall uh john finished ahead of some guy named fernando alonso uh, <laughs> yeah and and john john was on the podium down there at the north american championships in a u.s made cart and yeah. Yeah. that was that was pretty cool and um, he actually has the results john works for us today and he actually has the results sheet taped up on the wall by his work area that's awesome so he can point to that and go oh yeah that was the day i beat alonzo you, you uh, tell you tell john he's a candidate for an upcoming podcast make sure he knows that i'll, I'll do that i'll let him know yeah that um, would be some there would be some cool stories there and 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 later on in that gold cup program i know you brought sandy and sandy was you know the 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 link she was the face of coyote products and there was a disconnect there and then she moved south and i know sandy started really working on getting team drivers and a team together for you to kind of build on that gold cup program with other drivers correct well yeah she actually i mean she's totally responsible for all of our success in in uh 2005 i mean she really she came to me and and it was really ironic because like in 98 back when we were running with, with john um, at Gold Cup in that era, I mean, Sandy and I were like nose to nose a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I've been there and done that, Keith. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that was uh, that was always entertaining. And and um, yeah, I mean, she was tough, and she she fought for her drivers. She did, um, unlike anybody else I've ever known. So uh, she had a very loyal base of drivers, very very loyal, and. Um, so she, she had come to me, I think it was in the fall of 04. We were at Charlotte again, and you were having the, uh, the oval track race on the front straight there, the $10,000 to win race, if I remember correctly. And um, she, she wanted to introduce me to Travis Firing. And uh, Sandy and Travis's dad were, uh, you know, partners are, you know, we're dating or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and she said, Hey, I want you to meet this kid. He can really, you know, he can drive. He's and a wheel man. Yep. He is a wheel man. And so she introduced me to Travis and then we proceeded to sit in the stands uh, and watch the old track. What did you call that race? Briggs and Stratton 300. We just had Jason Petty on last week yeah. and he was, he was a, a former winner. We, we, uh, we covered a lot of ground on the Briggs 300, but yeah, it was the Briggs and Stratton 300. $10,000 purse, 3000 to win. Yeah. So really, and that was, again, all the big hitters were there. So absolutely. So we sat in the grandstands. I sat in the grandstands with, with Sandy and Glenn firing and we watched Travis run that race. I mean, it was obvious the guy could wheel it and um, had an absolute blast. And it's just funny as we're sitting here, I just get a text from Chuck Grafar. Uh, oh yeah. Totally yeah. randomly. So, yeah. uh, but uh so Sandy said to me, she said, I want to put a team together for you and I want to win you. She told me, she says, I want to win you the manufacturer's championship and gold cup next year. And I, 
man, how can I pass that up? Right. I mean, she's going to exactly. do all the work and she's going to put it together. And she did. She assembled the drivers. She pulled the Larson family in, uh, the Jesus family. Um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on everybody that was involved. Um, but it was a really, really good group of people, yep. just a super good group of people. And we showed up at the first race and just started winning races left and right uh, on our Brava 4 chat. Well, it was uh, an extension of the Brava 4 chassis. I think mm -hmm. it was Brava 4.2 at the time. And we dominated the series that year and won the manufacturer's championship. And it was, it was all driven by Sandy Gregory. There's no question about it. Uh, she deserves all the credit. And um, it was a lot of fun. The races were a lot of fun. We had a big time at all of the races. And that's what I remember most about that era in Gold Cup is that it was very, very competitive, yet it was also um, very friendly. And yes. everybody there was family. Every, it was right. just one big family. Right. Uh, and once the racing was done, um, you know, the grills came out and the drinks came out and everybody just kind of hung around the track and had yep. a big time in the evening at the track. Yeah, but there was a lot of fellowship there. Absolutely. Yeah. There really was. Uh, racing was really good. And uh, so a lot of good memories from that. And uh, definitely got to credit Sandy and, and Glenn Firing, too, uh, for being part of the driving force behind mm -hmm. that. But uh, uh, winning never gets old. And no, <laughs> we did a lot of winning that year. So a lot yeah. of fun. Good deal. Well, we're going we're gonna to kind of go back in time a little bit, only to bring us to the present. So back, and I want to say mid to late 90s, you had a vision, and you came to me with it, and I couldn't get any traction. And the vision was this, Randy, karting needs a class where the carts are the same, the engines are the same, everything's the same, where somebody can just get out and drive. And we threw it out there and... And, you know, some ideas came back, but the bottom line was, Keith, it just didn't stick mm -hmm. and, and nothing ever came of it. And I don't know the year, but it's been a few years now, but, but sure enough, you didn't give up on that vision. And I admire <laughs> you and I commend you for that. And so just a few years back, you come out with this announcement that there is a new race card out there called the Ignite. So tell us about that. The fact that you had that vision 20 plus years ago, but it was just kind of on the back burner, so to speak. And you finally had time to grab the skillet and stick it on the front of the stove. And sure enough, the thing cooked and it's tasting pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, uh, I, I had almost forgotten about that time back in the nineties and oops, I shouldn't have reminded you of that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great. And it was, it was another, um, it was another great learning experience for me. It was, um, gosh, it was probably 94, something yeah. like that. And, and I felt like at the time, carding was getting really expensive. Little did I know, <laughs> you know, that that was nothing right. back then. But carding was getting too expensive. It was getting overly complicated. And, and I'm a firm believer that Carding is supposed to be a sport for everyone. It's an every, it's an every man's sport, every person's sport. It should be accessible to the masses. You know, if you want to get involved in motorsports, you should be able to go kart racing. It shouldn't be so complicated or so expensive that it squeezes people out or keeps Excellent them point. from competing. I would agree. So I felt like that we were kind of headed that direction where it was getting too complicated, too expensive. And we just needed a clear entry point 
into the sport. And, and back in the early 90s, you know, you had shifter carts, you had Yamahas, you had reed classes, you had four cycle classes, you had all this stuff. And if you wanted to go kart racing, you had to really want to go kart racing because you had to do all this homework to figure out where to even get started. And so I was involved with the Cart Industry Council at the time. Actually, I think I was president of the Cart Industry Council at the time. And, and um, for all, you know, for all the grief that came along with that position, um, it was always entertaining, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I thought, okay, well, let's get the industry together and let's talk about this and, and see what we can come up with. So I sort of convened this meeting in St. Louis at the, uh, out by the airport and invited everybody in the industry. Um, you know, Linda Emick uh, from Emick Chassis, um, um, uh, Gary Gebhardt from Horseman, uh, Wayne Wispelair from Coyote, basically uh, Dan Klutz, uh, Charlie Sox, um, everybody I could grab from either coast from the Midwest, anybody that was uh, a key player in the industry, we got them together in St. Louis. I mean, that was no small feat in itself. Right, exactly. And we, I sort of pitched this idea for a spec class that anybody could build a chassis for. We would define the parameters as an industry. And as long as you built a chassis that fit within these parameters, you were good to go. And everybody agreed to that and uh, felt like that was, you know, going to be a viable path forward. And, and the problem was that we were all small business owners or small business managers. And man, we came up with this great plan and we're all charged up about it. And we all left that meeting with, with great intentions and we all got back to our respective businesses and, you know, something's on fire. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And you've got to go put that fire out yep. right now. Yep. And, and then, uh, you know, something else comes up two days later. And, yeah. and so it just kind of lost momentum. And, and I still believe that it was a good idea and, and always hoped that if the time was right at some point, we could reintroduce it. And, um, you know, that time really never came. And, and then in 2013, 2012, 2012, um, gentleman named Curtis Francois uh, came to me and Curtis is an old sports car racer from here in St. Louis, a, a real motorsports enthusiast and a property developer on top of all that. And uh, Curtis uh, was interested in buying the uh, defunct Gateway uh, Motorsports Park or Gateway International Raceway as it had been called earlier, earlier in the years. And, and Curtis had a vision of developing that into a racing hub in the Midwest. And he said that, uh, or he asked me, he said, you know, I really feel like karting should play a, a, a central role in everything we do here at Gateway in the future. Would you be interested in working with us on that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what an opportunity. So Curtis ended up acquiring the, uh, the property uh, literally weeks before it was going to be bulldozed. And, and the rest is kind of history as far as the track goes. I mean, everybody knows what an amazing job he's done with the facility and with promoting races there and, and bringing IndyCar back to St. Louis. Um, but he, he gave us a clean sheet of paper and said, okay, 
I want you to figure out the carting program. Here's the space that you have inside the facility to build a cart track. I want you to design the cart track, design the facility for carting, and then the program that goes with it. And so we literally had a clean sheet of paper opportunity, uh, thanks to Curtis. And, and he's stood behind it. He stood behind it early on. He still stands behind it. And it's been really um, amazing to see the Ignite program grow. But what we started with was basically saying, okay, here's what's wrong with carding. Here's, here's why it's difficult to go kart racing. Here's the challenges that people face when they want to get into the sport. Right. And we tried to minimize the challenges and the difficulties and, and maximize the fun side of it. And, and we came up with the Ignite spec program and uh, started running it in the fall of 2014. We ran a short three race series. And I'm really proud to say that uh, of the six people that raced with us on that first day, uh, one of them still races with us actively and that's Ryan Bettenhausen. Oh yeah. Uh, from the Bettenhausen family. Sure. And uh, so that, that was, um, uh, it's, it's just been a really neat program to see develop. And we talked about the people in Gold Cup, and, and I see more of that in the Ignite program. It's very competitive, but there's a whole lot of um, fellowship, friendships that have developed. There's just so many neat friendships that have developed. And, and what, like the best part of my day, the racing's always good, but the best part of my day at an Ignite event is, is really sort of the time at the end of the day when everybody's hanging around the podium and you see all the dads kind of hanging out and talking yeah. with one another and the moms are over here talking with one another. And then the kids yeah. are over here, you know, on scooters, racing each other around the pits on scooters. And it's just really cool to see all of these people come together and have a good time um, without sort of all the acrimony and, yeah, you know, exactly. that you sometimes see at a racetrack. So um, it's been really good. It continues to grow uh, sometime in the next, I would say month or probably in the next month. Um, we're going to ship our 1000th ignite cart. Wow. And, and, um, that's not nothing, you know? So, no, that's awesome. Uh, we've picked up, um, some new tracks up at, uh, you know, like, uh, Tim Hannon with Oakland Valley. Um, really proud to have them involved yeah. now. Sean Bailiff at Motorsports Country Club of Cincinnati. They've mm -hmm. got a beautiful facility and we just keep sending carts his way. Um, as well as several other country club facilities out West. Um, so anyway, it's been really good. And, and the team at Margay, uh, you know, Greg Dingus, Bonnie Atkinson, uh, who was with me for 26 years before she retired, you know, everybody sort of got behind that program and, and made it work, you know, and made it grow. And so I couldn't have done it without, uh, you know, the group there and, and so many other people too, but it's been a really, really good program. And I think it's going to continue growing and, and maybe we can do even more with it. So we'll see That's what it brings. Really fascinating. And, and I always learn things on these podcasts, but I had no idea that the driving force to really get that going was the opportunity that the, the gateway provided you to really develop a program. What a, what a great story. It's almost like the perfect storm, right? There was, there was a need and an opportunity. And then you took that opportunity and, and, and put your vision into action. That, that's awesome. It, it really was. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It was the perfect storm um, because at the time we were just coming out of that uh, 2009, 2010 era where the economy was so terrible. Right. 
And we had had to cut back on our national level racing. You know, we had been heavily involved in Man Cup for so many years with WKA and we had to sort of cut back our involvement and, and you know, really we had to uh, change the way we did things to live to fight another day. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. And the opportunity with uh, Curtis came along and Curtis is a real visionary. I mean, he's, he's really done amazing things with um, worldwide technology raceway now uh, formerly known as gateway motorsports park, but uh, he, he really put a nice team in place there and they've just done some great things. And We've got a, a first-class facility 15 minutes from the shop now, so uh, it, it's really worked out well. Sweet. We reached our part of the show, Keith, that I call the Hall of Fame Spotlight. And I, uh, I really respect our members in the Hall of Fame, of which you're, you're, you were inducted last year, because they've molded our sport. They've had so much to do with where our sport is today and how it got there and why it's still there basically because of what's happened in the early years with a lot of these Hall of Fame members. So I'm going to mention a few people that have impacted your life. And I'd just like to share, I'd like you to share maybe just a couple stories. Let's, let's start off with the distinction the Freeber family has with the Carding Hall of Fame that no other family in Carding has. Three generations of Freebers are in the Hall of Fame. Elmer, Keith's grandfather, Don Freeber, Keith's dad, and last year at Quincy, Keith was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So Keith, let's start with Elmer, your grandfather. Share with us a story or two about your grandfather. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> uh, what a smart guy. Um, he, he just, talk about a driven individual. Um, he lost the use of his legs uh, when he was a young man to polio. Um, oh goodness. But that never really slowed him down. He always had a, a passion for motorsports and uh, he was, you know, started a business in the basement of his home with uh, my grandmother in the back in the 1930s and really just a driven individual, uh, sort of old school German heritage. Um, and he was known as a gear guy, had a real fascination for gears and gear drive systems. And, and that manifested itself uh, with his ownership of a Curtis Craft Offie uh, midget back Sweet. in the late 50s. And uh, because the Offenhauser was famous for its gear driven camshaft yeah, and uh, that car was driven by a lot of the big names uh, at the time back in the day. And um, it had a quick change rear end on it. And in the late fifties um, he was running that car. Uh, then in the early sixties, my dad came along and wanted to go kart racing. And so my grandfather bought my dad a kart and my grandfather was just disgusted with the chain drive. The chain would always break. You'd always, <laughs> every day you go to the track and you have a problem with the chain. And my grandfather said, this is ridiculous. Uh, we're going to fix that. So he designed a uh, gear drive system that eliminated the chain, but also featured a quick change uh, gear ratio to where wow. you could change the gear ratio very quickly. Uh, no different than a quick change rear end on a, on a midget. And so that was our first product. That was the uh, Markart uh, gearbox uh, that he developed in 1964. And I still have a lot of the original pieces, uh, a lot of the original prototypes for that. And um, that's what got us off and running. And then he 
you know, the company Margay started as a, a division of Marquette Tool and Die. And, and then it just sort of became more and more all-consuming. And, uh, you know, my grandfather had his favorite drivers of the day and, and uh, helped a lot of people along back in the early 70s. And, and I, one of my favorite all-time pictures, all-time favorite pictures, is of uh, the three of us, my, my father and my grandfather, along with my grandfather's favorite driver of that era, a guy named Jimmy Mann who I'm sure you know, recognize that name. Yes. Uh, Jimmy was from up in Wisconsin and Jimmy was kind of the king of the sea open class. He was. Uh, in that era. And, and he was just my grandfa grandfather's favorite driver. Anyway, there was a picture that was published in the uh, International Cart Federation magazine uh, from the Quincy IKF Nationals in 1977. And it's myself, my dad, my grandfather, and Jimmy Mann sitting there just outside the uh, grid uh, underneath the scoring tower watching the races. The three of us lined up, and I'm, I'm nine years old in that picture. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you shared that with me on Facebook. That's a, that's a cool picture. Yes. Uh, I'm going to get that up on the website when we get it going here, which is actually going to be just a few days. I, so, I, have, I have a Jimmy Mann story, story for you real quick. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So... At Barnesville, maybe 73, 74, I'm racing B Limited. Yeah. Jimmy Mann was a hero of mine because he came to Batavia one year, and I think it was a Margay. And the, before anybody even knew what body work was, he came there with a CO machine. Yeah, I know that car. Yeah, oh my gosh. That thing was out of Star Wars, okay? Yes. Or, yep. Back in that time, it would have been maybe the Jetsons, but it was it was a futuristic car, right? Yep. So, so here I am in, in B Limited. I'm starting, I don't know sixth, eighth, whatever, but the, the card in front of me <laughs> is Jimmy Mann. And I, I'm speechless, right? I mean, I'm, I'm racing behind a guy I've idolized. <laughs> and I, you know, I wasn't, you know, the, the greatest driver out there, but I thought it was pretty good. I didn't do stupid stuff, right? I was, I was if anything, I was a little conservative. We're on the pace lap at Barnesville. I swear to you, Keith, I never, and I raced for a long time, never had I ever done this. I was so focused on him starting in front of me that we we're coming up for the start. And you know how sometimes they'll, they'll slow down, pick up slow, just trying to uh -huh, throw everybody sure. off pace. I wasn't paying attention. I hit him in the back end, <laughs> knocked his pipe off. Oh, geez. Well, we're both out now. Right. So we're both off the first turn. The race has <laughs> started and I'll never forget. I, I'm telling you, I would have felt better if you had punched me. He got out of his cart, looked at me, looked at his pipe and just shook his head and push the cart away. I thought I've totally ruined my life with Jimmy Mann. <laughs> I can I see him to, doing that too. Yeah. And I got to see him at Dousman many years later. And I yeah. told him that story and he laughed. He said, I think <laughs> I remember that. I said, well, I remember it. I'll tell you that it was a total embarrassment. Um, so how about Don Freeber? Well, I, you know, I mean, I just have so much respect for, for both my grandfather and my dad. And, and I'm just, the dumb guy that happened to be next in line. <laughs> yeah, that's know. what you are, Keith, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, got pretty lucky. But um, my dad is, is one of those guys that, um, just a unique person that can just, he can just figure it out. And whatever he sets his mind to, he, he can just be good at whatever it is he wants to do. I mean, uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, he just... 
he just figures stuff out and, and, and makes it work. And so he was uh, really instrumental in, in a lot of the success I had early on with racing. But, you know, they, he and my grandfather um, decided in the, in the mid seventies that they wanted to build their own engine. Yeah, their own two cycle engine uh, for karting and not be so reliant on the European manufacturers. And so my dad got together with uh, Dan Lamello uh, from APCO. Uh, Gary Hartman had a lot to do with it as well and came up with the LMR 100. And he really spearheaded the production and development of this engine along with some help from, or a lot of help with some other very smart people. And, and put this engine into production and uh, was behind that engine winning a lot of races in that era um, against all of the uh, better funded and better developed possibly mm -hmm. uh, European engines. So mm -hmm. had a lot of success with that. And he was just, he was instrumental too, I think, in helping drivers like Scott uh, Pruitt navigate their way out of karting or, you know, to the success Scott, some of the success Scott had in karting and, and then, beyond uh and helped uh get him fired off on an unbelievable career yeah for sure just everything that he um did he just he has an amazing ability just to be good at whatever he wants to do and it's kind of annoying really <laughs> because it's so hard for the rest of us yeah. you know yeah exactly and, and he just he never complains he ne no. and he's just such a good person one of and the such most a soft, nice guy and one of the most soft-spoken guys you'll ever meet yeah yeah so uh, you know I, i'm just very lucky and yeah. um super cool that um my grandfather and my father um are in the hall of fame and, and just need to be part of the family and just just got lucky that's all there is to it Scott Pruitt, we talked a lot about Scott, and you just mentioned how your dad was instrumental in helping Scott move along in his career, but Scott is in the Hall of Fame as well. Share with us the Scott Pruitt story. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, well, one that comes to mind quickly and is always kind of a favorite is, is a rental car story at Daytona. Oh, uh, no. That, oh, no. When Are you we, could drive on the beach at night. Are we beyond the statue of limitations on this one? Or? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, um, all right, go ahead. But, <laughs> no, name, uh, no names, please. <laughs> needless to say, I, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier, I learned a lot from, from Scott and, and yeah. Haddock and all those guys. And one of the things I learned from Scott is how to utilize the handbrake, uh, the hand emergency brake in a rental car. <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of fun um, one night on the beach and then around town and um, nobody got arrested and, and Scott went out and won the next day. So that, yeah. that was all good. Now, but, is it, um, did no one get arrested because no one witnessed what happened or? I think that was a good possibility. Probably. Yeah. 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 Okay. But um, just there's so many memories of Scott and there's not one in particular that stands out, but we talked about those traits that make these guys different. And, and that's the deal with a guy like Scott. He's, he's different, you know, I mean, he's just wired differently than, yeah. than the rest. I mean, there's guys that can go out there and lay down a, a crazy fast lap and, and, and that's sort of it, but they can't seal the deal at the end of the day. Right. Scott's just wired. A guy like Scott is wired differently. And, and I don't pretend to know all of his secrets by any stretch, but I do know that 
just nobody worked harder than that guy. And yeah. he's focused and he's a nice guy on top of it. Right, right. Um, he's really, uh, just the way he treats people, the way he looks out for people. I'm sure some of his competitors might argue that on the track, but he's just a very thoughtful person. And, you know, the old Pinsky saying, effort equals results. Scott yep. put a lot of effort into developing his career, a, a yeah. massive amount of effort into developing his career. And it paid off. Uh, yeah. The effort equals the results. And, yeah, and sure. that would be the one thing I would share with young drivers is uh, it, it's very true. Effort equals results. Absolutely. And here is a prime example of that. So just a good Absolutely. person and, and fortunate to know Scott and uh, had a lot of fun with him when I was a kid and learned a lot. More importantly, I did learn a lot from him about how to sure. do things. One or quick lack. story, one quick story sure. about Scott that just came to mind back to sure. Daytona. Sure. And, it, and it's not an on-track thing, but it's one of those things that always stuck with me. Uh, you know, you had WK had the, uh, the big trade show down there um, mm -hmm. back in the, the ocean, day. And this, at the Ocean Center. At the Ocean Center, yeah. And this would have been the early 80s. Okay. Uh, and again, my dad had sent me uh, to Daytona with Scott as my chaperone. And, you know, he was supposed to be in charge of keeping an eye on me. Right. Um, and Scott's probably, you know, 21 at the time, you know, and I'm 16 or something like that. And so um, we're getting ready to go to the trade. You know, we had been at the track all day uh, doing what, you know, running at the track and, and we go back to the hotel and we're getting ready to go to the trade show. And, you know, I throw on a pair of jeans and a halfway clean t-shirt or something, and I'm ready to go off to the trade show. And, and Scott's over there in the hotel room, putting on a three piece suit. <laughs> And I, and I start giving him a bunch of grief. And I said, who, you know, I just, yeah, whatever. What are you, who are you dressing up for? You know, and, and just gave him a load of trouble about it. And he looked at me and he said, Hey, you never know who you're going to meet. That's right. And kind of a throwaway moment. Right. Yeah. But he went to the show that night, ended up meeting somebody that led to another connection that ultimately put him in a sports car. Oh my gosh. And, and here I am, I'm still wearing my jeans and a grubby t-shirt. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it, it, it doesn't seem significant, but it is significant. And that's, Absolutely. that's the way he approached things. Yeah. I mean, everything matters. Every yep. single thing matters. And that's, that's uh, again, why he was wired, different, wired differently and, and why he uh, has had the success that he has. Yep, absolutely. Well, our last one on the list, Randy Folks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got stories there. Um, and I don't even know where to begin with Randy. Um, I'm just very thankful that Randy took pity on me so many times and, and continues to do so. <laughs> so um, Randy... Uh, uh, you know, what, what can you say about Randy? Obviously the guy is, he's the gold standard in, in carding, right? No doubt. Yeah. And, and his family too. Um, mom and dad, Barb and Reg, and of course, uh, Rick, uh, as well. But Randy, um, early on when I was 16, my dad was busy. My dad had, my dad had a little bit of burnout, I think from working so hard and so diligently with Scott's effort 
Um, and he had two businesses to run with Marquette Tool and Die and Margate Racing. I think he had a little bit of burnout when I was when I turned 16. And I was really just sort of really getting the bug to race a lot when I turned 16. And so my dad basically turned me loose, sent me to the track on my own uh, with this entire go-kart company at my disposal. Like, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Um, I'm, I'm a kid. I don't know anything. And I've got all of this equipment and artillery just at my disposal. So I show up at the track and I'm going to run five classes and I've got go-karts and motors and tires and stuff piled up all over, completely disorganized. I could go out and be fast. I could be one of those guys who could put down a fast lap, but I could never seal the deal. Um, Randy was always kind of off over there on the side doing his thing, but like kind of watching me out of the corner of his eye, I think. And he would just look over towards me, look back at what he's doing and just shake his head. <laughs> this guy over here, he's going to hurt himself eventually. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think Randy was like, I got to do something because this is just pitiful. And so he, he helped uh, get me organized. He, he taught me how to prepare to win. Right. And he taught me a lot about, you know, being ready before you get to the track. And he helped uh, get me pointed in the right direction in so many ways when it come to, comes to preparing to go to the races. And just after having been around him for so many years now, I mean, I, that's kind of when I'm trying to figure something out at work or, I mean, even when it's something simple, I'm like, okay, well, how would Randy do this? <laughs> there you go. Wow. Because if, if it's, you know, about getting from point A to point B, Randy's going to do it in six steps where everybody else does it in 10 you know, and he's just all about efficiency. And, and after all of the times I've run into him at Daytona, I can't believe he still talks to me. So, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's a great friend and he, he taught me how to win before you get to the track. His brother, Rick, is also a great lifelong friend, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and Rick taught me how to have fun at the track there you go. while still winning. Yeah. And, and a great story involving both of them was, of course, at Daytona a couple of years. It's probably five or six years ago now. And, and Randy and I were racing in the Yamaha Sportsman class. And the two of us had gotten away from everybody. And it was just it was going to be the two of us on the last lap to sort the thing out. And uh, we caught a lap car coming off the oval with, I don't know, maybe one or two laps to go. And we, we, were, we caught this guy right as you come off the oval, come off the banking into the, the left-hander there, into the infield. And Randy took the inside. I took the outside. We split this guy. And then we kind of converged back in front of this guy at the same time. And I clip as Randy's coming back to the right, now I'm coming to the left. I clip the back of Randy's cart oh. inches, you know, and send Randy spinning off the track. Oh. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm in big trouble here. Yeah. I'm in really big trouble. And at the time, to, to make matters even worse, well, it's bad enough. I just knocked Randy off the track and out of the lead. But to make matters worse, at the time, he's driving for Bill Spouty. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. So I know exactly how this is going to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
I'm freaking out. I'm just, I'm like, I'm looking over my shoulder. Like he surely he kept going, right. He got going again. He's in second right behind me. Right. 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 And he's not, I'm like, Oh boy. So, uh, I end up winning. And as soon as I cross the scales, I'm frantically looking for Randy. I'm like, I'm freaked out, really upset. And, uh, I find Randy and I'm like, man, I, I grab him. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, and I, all I can do is apologize. And he just looks at me and he, he just looked right at me and said, did you win? And I said, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Did I win? And that, and he said, did you win? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, that was it. That was it. No. <laughs> that was it. But then I go back to the pits and it's, you know, Barb and Reg are there. Yeah. Bill's there. Everybody's there. And I get a pretty chilly reception, right? Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and, I mean, keep in mind, I'm racing with them. I mean, Randy yeah. drove my stuff to Daytona right. and I just right. knocked him off the racetrack and out of the yeah. lead. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, and I'm bummed out. I mean, you know, Randy's one of my heroes. I mean, I look up to the guy yeah. and, and I am so bummed out, you know, and, and Nicole, my wife is there. I mean, she's awesome. And, and I'm walking, I'm just dejected, my head's down. And I walk past Rick folks and without missing a beat, Rick deadpans and, and, and says, good thing Nicole's here. At least you got somebody to talk to. <laughs> That's Rick. That's vintage Rick folks right there. Yeah. Yep. It was just classic. You know? Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it was a good thing Nicole was there because yeah. she was the only one that would talk to me that, that day. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So good times. But uh, yeah. uh, Randy is a, is a guy. That, I mean, yeah, he helped me, but that's no big deal. I mean, he's helped so oh, many people. He has a me- as a mentor, as a driving coach. Yeah. 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 And he just, yeah. And he won't say no. He doesn't know how to say yeah, no. Right. I mean, he'll, anybody can walk up to him and say, hey, I need help with this or that. Yeah. And, and not only will he help you sort that issue out, he'll check on you later and go, hey, did you get that figured out? How did that work out? I mean, he's just a thoughtful guy. And yep. um, I think we could all do better if we were more like him and, and approach things the way I would did, agree. So. I had him and Rick on the show a few weeks ago, and they were they were awesome. Some great stories. But Randy, Randy's such a humble guy. You know, I yeah. mean, just you could talk to him and never know that he... If he, if you did figure out he raced go-karts, you would never know he won his first race unless you had to dig it out of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's won, I don't know, 54 races now at Daytona or something yeah, like that. Right. Right. And, uh, and you would think that the trophies would be on display all over the house or something, but they're not, they're piled up on top of a shelf in the garage. And <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, Oh yeah, those things take up. Sp- I mean, that's the way Randy looks at it is like those stupid trophies take up space. I could have, you know, I could be storing tires up there or something that's more right. relevant to winning. That's right. Yeah but I've got to keep these trophies in case I don't know what, but uh, yeah. yeah, he's, he's very focused on the job at hand and, and, and making yeah. it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Daytona, as we wind this podcast down, I, I know you've, you take heart to getting to Daytona and competing every year. Why is that? What does Daytona mean to you? Why is it so important? Well, I, I yeah, it's, I haven't missed a race at Daytona since 1982, except for the two years they didn't hold the race. One year when they were repaving the track, and 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 one year when a misguided board member at WKA thought that people didn't want to race down there the week between Christmas and New Year's, so we didn't have the race, which was one of the craziest things ever. Um, but 
I, yes, I haven't missed a race there since actually 1981 was my first race there. So this will be my 39th consecutive year uh, of racing at Daytona. And um, why does it mean so much to me? Um, well, certainly the memories over there. I mean, you know, tearing down the beach in a rental car with Scott Pruitt with the e-brake <laughs> yeah. on. Right. You know, trying not to sink your rental car in the ocean. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, things like that don't happen every day. No, um, fortunately. But, you know, the, the people again. And um, it, it's sort of my second family down there. You know, the folks family has been really uh, good to me over the years. And, and I've been very lucky that they let me sort of hang out with them, uh, even after I crash their son. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's just, and there's something to me that's so special about racing at a place like Daytona or Indy or, you know, any of those places, but Daytona, especially when I was a kid, you know, I grew up watching the Daytona 500, the Indy 500. And then yes. I really took a liking to IMSA sports car racing in the, uh, early and mid 1980s which was the pinnacle of, uh, of sports car racing with all the Porsche 962s and 959s, 956s, and uh, the IMSA GTP cars and the, the Gurney Eagle GTP cars. It was really a cool era. And so as a kid, I'm watching all of these really amazing cars and drivers compete. Right. Road America, Road Atlanta, Daytona. And I still, I, I get goosebumps just literally sitting here right now thinking about driving through the tunnel, the old tunnel, under turn four um, and coming out through that tunnel and you see the sun coming up over the wall and like the whole pit area is still kind of foggy, you know, and it's, and it's just very sort of surreal uh, to think that, Hey, I'm getting to race at this legendary place because That's right. Yeah, and exactly. So I just, I think it's super uh, neat um, that we can race at a place like Daytona um, and, and do it with all of your friends and have a great time and, and just have all these stories to tell for years and years and years. Um, oh my God, we could have 10 podcasts with all oh, yeah. the stories from Daytona. Exactly. And, and it's, it's tough for me to pick out one really memorable one. Um, but I, I do remember the first race I ever won at Daytona and that was in the 135 CC controlled class. And I, I beat guy, I beat Randy Folks. I beat Lynn. Hattie. Wow. I beat Emerson Dismore. Wow. Uh, Doug Hemline. Many, man, not too many people can say that. Yeah. And so uh, that's really special to me. Um, and, and, you know, at the time, you don't even appreciate it. Um, you, you just don't know. But um, quick story uh, on that. And, and then we'll wrap it up if you don't have anything else but um so i win this race you know i've been uh, trying to win a, a race at daytona for several years now and and now i've got mike birdsell helping me and i would be re remiss if i didn't mention mike birdsell sure. mike and i uh mike uh, you know after charlie grodicke helped me out at a bunch of races mike birdsell was one of the ones that helped me out at a bunch of races and uh for several years and over 19 or through 1988, 1989, Mike and I won 49 WK national enduro races together. Oh my gosh. So, so not a bad run. No. But uh, uh, Mike was wrenching for me um, at the time and uh, got my first win at Daytona. 
and and beat all beat all the people that you would want to beat, right? And it was crazy. And I was still pretty young and um, was sort of new to the celebrating thing, right? And back in the day, everybody stayed at the same hotel, right? Um, down on the beach. I think that that year it was the Hawaiian Inn or something. Yeah. And there's of yeah. course a big bar off to the side of the hotel lobby. Of course, there. of course there is. And that's where every, I mean, it was like, a, that was the industry meeting right there. Everybody yeah. was there every night. Yeah. And, and so I go back there and, and I'm celebrating the big win and having a big time. And it gets, starts getting to be pretty late. And uh, I've had a couple of cocktails. And again, I was sort of new to that whole celebrating thing. Yeah. And I go, it dawned on me. I got to race the next day. I <laughs> love it. I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do? You know? And so I look around the room and I go, hey, there's Lynn Haddock. He'll know what to do. He's a pro, right? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get some advice from Lynn. Sure. Cause and Lynn hasn't been drinking, has he? <laughs> right. Everybody at that point <laughs> has been having a big time. Yeah. And, and, and I wish I could actually talk about all the other things Lynn's done for me. Lynn, Lynn has been another guy that has been yeah. so helpful to me, but, uh, so many ways with business and everything else. Uh, he's really been great to me, but, but on this particular night, I'm, I'm going to seek him out for his expertise sure. in this particular area. Good idea. And so I said, Lynn, what do I do? Man, I got, I got a race tomorrow. I think I've had a few too many, you know, what, how, what do I do? And he says, no problem. Here's what you do. Go up to your room. And before you go to sleep, just drink as much water as you can. Just yeah. keep drinking the water. Don't stop. Just yeah. drink water until you can't drink any more water. Yeah. Okay. That's words from the pro. He's the expert. Yep. So I, I go up to the room, drink all the water I can drink till I think I'm going to float away. Go to bed. Well, 20 minutes later, I'm up. Yep. And I'm up every 30 minutes <laughs> the rest of the night, yep. you know, going to the bathroom. Sure. I get to the track the next morning. I feel absolutely terrible. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't get any sleep. Right. So we get ready to go out for practice. I got my helmet on. I'm standing on the grid and I am miserable. You're a mess. I'm a mess, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I see Haddock standing there getting ready yeah. to go practice. And I walk up to him and I said, hey, that <laughs> advice you gave me last night, that was terrible. It didn't work at all. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, never worked for me either. <laughs> Turned around, got in his cart and off he went. You know? Yep. Yep. That's, <laughs> so, that's, that's vintage Haddock right there. Yeah. It was yeah. classic, but yeah, I, I don't mean to, uh, to share a light story like that with Len when he was, uh, again, so helpful to me over the last oh, yeah. and we, and 30 we, years. We actually had him on about three weeks ago too. And I'll tell you, I saw a personal side of Len on that podcast I've never seen, but it was pretty awesome. Yeah, just to see a guy that's got 50 years in the sport oh, yeah. or more and, and, and still have so much passion for it yeah. and want to see it succeed. I mean, that's really great. Exactly. So, well, Keith, as we, as we wind this down, I always end the podcast with this question. And we've, you know, we've kind of answered the question throughout the podcast, but just, just what comes to your mind when I make these comments? What's carding meant to you over the years and what does it mean to you today? Well, it's just people. You know, I mean, it, it, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. You know, I mean, you you get a trophy for winning a race or, you you know, you have a good day at the track. That's all great. And everybody wants to win. 
and racing is about winning, but at the end of the day, you remember the people more than the wins. Yes. And I, I've been really, really lucky to meet some great people and have some really enjoyable times and memories with, with them over the years. And, and as I said before too, about seeing the people at the end of the day, you know, socialize and, and the fellowship that they have with one another. Um, to me, Cardin's just about people having a good time together, um, enjoying something that they're passionate about. And, uh, and that's what, I mean, that's what it's always been really. I mean, nobody's ever going to get really rich or even, modestly rich uh, in, in carding you know you're not doing this for the money you're doing it because you enjoy it and you enjoy being around the people and being around the people and the friendships that last for lifetimes i, I couldn't yeah. agree more well said yeah well keith this has been pretty cool buddy you did good i've really enjoyed this uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good stories a lot of memories and and certainly an historic family in carding the freeber family and we were able to share a lot of those tonight keith i can't thank you enough for being on the show i really appreciate it Randy, and I can't thank you enough for what you've done for the sport over the years, uh, the impact you've had on the sport, and, and just thank you for your ongoing efforts in promoting the sport and, and making sure that it carries on well into the future. Thank you, Keith. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of Racing with RK, episode number 12 with my good friend and guest, Keith Freeber. Uh, remember, say a prayer for the first responders, the hospital workers, police, firemen, and our military. Uh, they need all the help. They're out there doing their job. Just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Racers don't last forever, but racing memories do. This is Randy Kugler with Racing with RK. Take care, everybody, and be safe. <laughs>